I love uh, one thing that Emily prayed out earlier, and she didn't necessarily know where I was going to go in the text today, but she says, she said, we praise you for being like nothing else, God, nothing else in this world. And really, that's kind of at the heart of tonight's talk. Um, I wrote down two things that you should know in my notes. I wrote down 25 minutes, which I know it's lofty. It's lofty that I'd finish under 25. Um, the alum, they know. That's, that's, it, it's, a rare, it's a rare occurrence around here. Um, but here is, tonight, we're talking about stewarding your season or stewarding the season that you're in. And what she prayed earlier is exactly the one-sentence, tweetable summary that you could give to the book of Ecclesiastes, what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to be reading in chapter 3, so if you have a Bible with you, I'd love for you to turn there with me. We'll be in verses 1 through 8. And the other thing that I wrote down um, in my notes tonight is funny opener, that I should probably have one, um, that in case the cider didn't warm you up to hear from me for 25 to 35 minutes, that I should have one. I never have as great openers as Natalie Hill does. See, she has openers that are funny, that are personal, they're related to family, and then they like come back and slap you at the very end of the message because they're exactly related to what she's talking about. I'm from another school of thought where I just like say weird things and then take the message a different direction. And so thank you, Sam Murphy, for acknowledging that. So I don't have a funny opener, but I do want to share this, is that I have been waiting to share this message since this summer, which means I have a lot to say, but I'm going to try to keep it pretty short so we can respond and worship together. Hey, before we dig into this text, let me pray over us. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for what you're doing in our lives and in our community. Uh, God, thank you that you speak through your word, that it's an authority that's a gift to us, and it instructs us of how to clearly see you and then how to live like you. And we thank you for that, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8 say this, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And then it starts to describe some of those things. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Yes, you guessed it. A time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak. I like that second part. Um, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I feel like that's probably like the first coffee shop spoken word poem in the history of humanity. And I tried my very best not to read it in like the style of a beat poet with a beret. It would have been very awkward. So thank you for letting me get through that we see a snapshot of the entire book of Ecclesiastes in those eight verses. It's probably some of the most famous verses from the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want to just teach for a few minutes to give us some context, and then I'm going to kind of then go into preaching, so hopefully you can bear with me. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is believed to be written by King Solomon, but scholars are uns unsure. Like, they can't say with 100% accuracy um, who it was written by, but it was written by somebody of privilege, somebody who'd experienced life. It's the genre of the book is wisdom literature. So just like the Proverbs, it's giving a person's perspective of God, life, and everything in kind of a short book, and it's often in poetic form or in poet, poem, the function of a poem. It's, it's trying to express through art, and it's trying to express what one person's experience is going through life, 
and how they're discovering God in the process. What's interesting to note about Ecclesiastes is that some of it is description and some of it is prescription. In other words, this is not the book where you want to go out and apply everything that takes place in all 12 chapters. Uh, Scholars think this book is so unique because in the first few verses, uh, Solomon or the author is saying, like, life is meaningless, meaningless. Like, that's a direct quote, uh, pretty much. And then at the end in chapter 12, it's like, remember your God, remember his laws, and he's good. So it's this interesting journey that Solomon or, or the author went on. And so you shouldn't just like open up chapter two and start to apply it. Because in chapter two, Solomon's like, I'm going to live in the pleasure of the world and see if that brings me fulfillment. So I'm not giving you permission to do that. um, But I'm saying that this is an interesting testimony of one person in history. And God thought it was important enough to include it in the canon of scripture. And we find out in the epistles that scripture describes itself as being for our good, to challenge us, to rebuke us, to teach us, to admonish us, that all scripture is God breathed. So there's something that you and I are to gain tonight from looking at these eight verses in an overview of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the most It's the book written with the most implied crisis. It's an existential dilemma from someone who's experienced much of life who's really searching for meaning and purpose. If you read on your own time, you'll see he talks about doing great things in terms of vocation, but it not being satisfying, trying to live kind of in the pleasure of the world and for God, and that just kind of not really coming up as giving him full purpose or fulfillment. And then we kind of get into this part in the the beginning of, Uh, of hearing that there's a time for everything. And that kind of leads us to our framework for tonight with some wonderful graphics from Natalie Hill. The better the graphics, the better I preach, I'll just be honest. And so um, this is a great portrait for us. That there are going to be different seasons of your life. There's different seasons in the life of a ministry. It's something that we've been processing as a staff team. We've been uh, you know, part of Chi Alpha for many years, most of us on staff, or we've been students in the ministry, and Chi Alpha's been discipling students for over 20 years in Washington, D.C. We want to ask ourselves, what is God doing in this season? How do we steward? How do we manage? How do we take advantage of what's around us and do the best with what we have? And how do we minister to who's here? And what needs can we meet? And what things do we need to see with spiritual eyes that we don't yet see with our physical eyes? And we kind of have phrased it like this as a staff, is that we're a missional community and and we're not a church. And we love the local church. Chi Alpha couldn't exist without the local church. It's confusing because we do churchy things like communion and baptism like next week. Um, But we're really a missional community. We are designed to help equip and train college students to live close to Jesus and then help others encounter him. Like if you could wrap up all that we do. And so we're just trying to focus. What does it look like to make the most of what's going on in and around our lives as a ministry. But you can also think about it personally. What season are you in? And this might be a little bit helpful for you. Maybe you've heard spiritual seasons being talked about, maybe not. But your identity, who you are and whose you are is is over here. And then your circumstances or your season is over here. It's what's going on around you. And it can definitely impact things that are happening inside of you. Now, I thought I could talk about the seasons and weather, but I just hate winter. I don't want to complain for five minutes and then only have 20 minutes left to share some good stuff. So I'll skip that. But the reality of it is this, is that if you're here, you have to be in some kind of season. You can't be seasonless. There are unique things about the circumstances around you that present both opportunities and obstacles for your growth and for God to receive glory. And what's interesting is that if we don't take note of what season we're in, 
we'll miss what God is doing and what he might be asking us to do because it might be different than what he used to do. Does that make sense? See, he's, he doesn't change. He's constant throughout time. He exists outside of it. But he moves in specific ways in people's lives and journeys. And it's usually important for the person to diagnose what type of season they're in. If we could zoom out, you know, 30,000 foot view, uh, most of you in this room are followers of Jesus. You're Christians. That's your identity. That's who you are and whose you are. Paul writes that we're no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to righteousness. So it's talking about kind of what our, our posture is in terms of who do we belong to. And that's on this side of things. But then if we zoomed out, we could say that all of you are in a season where you're students, you're at college. And I think that's important to think of it that way. You're, you're Christians at college, not college students who are Christians, right? Because you have to prioritize identity over season. Because if you put all of your identity in your season, it feels empowering for a moment, but it's not powerful to get through life's storms. It's tempting to make your season your identity, but you'll miss out on what God might have for you. It's important for all of us to realize as we start to dig into different seasons and thinking through what season you might be in, is that we can all sow seeds of faithfulness regardless of what the season looks like. We shouldn't discuss seasons of our life in such a way to delay our obedience or to distract us from what God's already asked us to do. One of the closest friends and mentors I had said this, he says, if you don't know what God is telling you to do, remember the last thing he told you and just do some more of that. He also put it this way, don't doubt in the dark what you saw in the light. If you know that God has given you direction, he's given you purpose, he's spoken to you about a gifting, he's beginning to walk you through in your potential and purpose according to his plan for your life, then, then do that, engage with that. Don't let seasons be an excuse for missing out on God's best for your life and for mine. It's also important to note that disobedience or a lack of engagement with the Creator isn't a season that's a choice, and I would say a very bad choice. Now, you might be in a season where you're receiving the consequences. Um, I hope that's not true, and I love what Bill Johnson says. He says that grace and mercy is the suspending of the law of reaping and sowing. In other words, that grace is, is this idea and mercy that we don't get what we actually do deserve sometimes. It's not just that we get what we don't deserve in Jesus. And I got to be honest, when I talk about seasons, and I don't talk about it often, it's not like a pet passion of mine. I just happen to want to talk about it tonight, and I've wanted to do so for a few months. But when I was talking about it this summer with some friends, somebody was saying, like, man, I'm just in a desert season. I'm in a long night of the soul season. And I mean, there are moments when our lives are difficult. I mean, if you read through Scripture, it's not like a highlight reel of people being perfect or obeying God or following him closely. No, it's people learning to stumble towards God instead of away from him. But I remember speaking to someone, and they were saying that they felt like they were in just a, a desert season. And I didn't ask at the time I wanted to. Maybe I should have. I wanted to ask if in this desert season, were they consistently, were they daily showing up to drink the water, to experience life in the scriptures that God has for them? Because in my own life in college, I would have said I was in a desert season, but really I just wasn't showing up to meet God. So I was in a position of self-exile. Where we say, oh man, God's not speaking to me. Well, have you opened your version app? Oh, no, no, I have not. Um, no, I have not, sir. Um, so there's a difference between a long night of the soul and then where you're choosing to disengage from, from God. So I want to be careful as we talk about seasons that, that I don't give you an excuse 
to not get God's best for you. And his best for you is so that you would look more like his son, Jesus. We find that in Romans 8. And actually, that's the whole connection of that he makes all things work together for his good according to his purpose to be conformed to the image of his son. Not he makes all things work together for your security, for your comfort, for your happiness. I wish my Bible said that it doesn't and neither does yours. It's about looking towards Jesus and then looking just like Jesus. I'm tempted when we read this passage uh, to look at verse 2 of this poem and say, uh, man, you should plant seeds of faith in your family when you go home for break. Because you're about to enter like a mini season. You're going to take a break from school and a break from community. But the question is, will you take a break from Jesus? So I look at, chapter, at verse 2 and I want to just say you need to plant seeds and sow with your family. And you do need to do that. You do get to do that. But that's not fully what this passage is saying. Or I want to look at verse 4 and say like you should be with your family. You should weep and laugh and dance and mourn and give them the very best gift you could. And that's the gift of being present. And that's true and that's good. But that's not really what this text really means to say. Or I think about verse 6, and it's saying, what things should you search for? What things should you gather? What things should you get rid of? And I want to challenge you, like on your Christmas break, what are you searching for, and what are you saying no to? But again, that's not exactly the proper application of this passage. Those things are good, and those things will probably put you in line with God's will for your life. But this passage is really warning us that we have the opportunity to engage in faithfulness no matter what our circumstances are. And a lot of times, we can't control the season that we're in. I remember this old dead guy, Fenelon, he once said that if you would embrace your cross instead of fighting against it, it'd be half as painful. I don't like the seasons that I've been in. I don't like sometimes the season that I'm in right now, personally. But the truth of the matter is, is that you and I are called to joyful faithfulness, which is just a really happy way of saying obedience. We're called to lean in to who God says we are, regardless of what's happening around us. Because if we look through the narrative of Scripture, and if you think through your life with a magnifying glass, you'll find that it's true, is that God doesn't pluck you from a season. He wants to bring you through it and teach you something in it. Now, I want to be clear here in our theology, is that God doesn't necessarily... Let me put it this way. There's a difference between God's allowance and God's providence in the seasons of your life. There are things that affect my life and my family's life and my friend's life that aren't God's intended providence. It's not something that he desires to provide. Sickness, death, mental health concerns, cancer, disease, those aren't God's design to grow you. That, that wouldn't be a very loving God. So that's not his providence He's allowing that for this time because there's brokenness in the world, and that's a tough question about suffering and evil. But I want to be careful that we don't blame God for where we're at, but instead that we take our doubts and our anger and our confusion and we take it to him. The Psalms are the perfect picture that God not only respects, but he loves when we bring our anger and our doubts and our messy emotions to him. Because our doubts can either draw us closer or distance us from him, depending on what we do with it. See, you and I can't determine on our own the emotions necessarily that we always feel or the season that we find ourselves in, but we can decide by the power of the Spirit what we do in those moments. As you read through Scripture and think through your own life or the life of your friends in your small group, it's interesting that there's those moments 
And we see him in the text as well, where it's like, but God, or yet God, or and God. And he just does something. He shows up, and in a moment, everything is different. Everything is better. Everything is changed. You see his renewal reflected in humanity and circumstances around you. There's a healing. There's an answered prayer. There's providence where you didn't expect it. But what's interesting is that the enemy of those but God moments is being in a season and then saying, if only, and then complaining about the season that you're in. If you and I don't recognize the season that we're in and try to find what God might be doing in it, we'll miss out on a but God moment. We'll miss out on a yet God did this moment. And some of us have a hard time letting go of where we've been because it was so good. And honestly, we have to, in our theological imagination, do we trust God that he's greater than where we've been? Are we willing to see like the Old Testament prophets, not with our physical eyes, but with spiritual eyes, that hope is on the horizon, that breakthrough is coming, that suffering doesn't last forever? It's terrible biblical study, but sometimes in a bad season, I have to just repeat the verse from somewhere in scripture that says like, and this too shall pass. Very bad just to pluck that out of context and say it, but it just reminds me that the season I am in and the season that you're in right now, the season that you'll be in over winter break, the season that you'll be in next semester. Maybe you're in a season of depression, of singleness. Maybe those two are related. Maybe they're not. Maybe you're in a season of difficulty. Maybe you're in a season where you're experiencing brokenness all around you. Maybe you're in a season of obscurity. Maybe you're in a season where you feel like the spotlight's on you and you don't want anybody to know that you're just playing make-believe and you don't really believe the things that you say you do. Regardless of your season, God is waiting to be Emmanuel for you to be God with you, to show up on the scene, to move into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson says, and to live life with you. I think there's some people that need to hear this, is that if you're angry with God, if you're disappointed with God, if you're disillusioned with Christian community, you can either turn that in a moment to be closer to God or you can, let go of, you can let that go in a direction that will distance you from who God is, from who God says you are, and it will remove you from being around other people who are trying to follow God. See, what's dangerous about seasons is that every new season gives us new opportunities to live out our faith. And usually in a different muscle group than we've lived it out before. Maybe you're experiencing growth in one area, but you feel like it's an area of famine in another part of your life or story. Maybe it's been finances your whole life that you've worried about, and now you're at school and you have a job and things are looking up, but there's another area of your life where you feel like there's a gap. I remember I was walking uh, with somebody uh, in a one-on-one, -on -one, doing like a walking one-on-one -on -one so I can get rid of the dad bod, and we were walking, and they were like, how are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm kind of in a friend gap right now. Um, and they were like, so you don't have any friends? And I was like, well, I said friend gap like intentionally because I didn't want to say I don't have any friends. So let's just stick with friend gap. But yes, I don't have any friends right now. Thanks for bringing that up, Matt. And so I was thinking about all that stuff. And the season of life that we're in, the Holy Spirit is asking us, would we steward it well? That's why in Philippians, Paul can write that we're to look towards things that are praiseworthy, things that are excellent, things that are trusted, and then Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's really saying I can be content in everything that life throws at me. It's not saying you can be an astronaut. 
uh, you probably can't be an astronaut. It's not saying you can be a great baseball player. Thanks, Dad. You totally misapplied that verse to my life and let me down. No, it's saying that you can be content like Paul no matter what you're going through, in famine or in feast, in seasons where you feel alone, and in seasons where you feel too crowded by the people next to you. What the Lord wants to tell you tonight is that he wants to be with you in this season. And that this season, the very thing that you're afraid of, the very thing that's brought stress and anxiety into your life, could be the thing that grows you the most to look like him. That this season that you're in, it's difficult. It's hurtful. I'm not saying those emotions don't exist. Jesus cares, and he wants to be with you in that season. The seasons of our life, if we don't look at it with a gospel lens, often remind us in our flesh of what's not there or who's not around, instead of how do I make the most of who is here and what God is doing. It's a spiritual temptation to view the glasses half empty or cracked or not even there at all. But the gospel rewires us, it renovates us, it renews us. If we allow it to, it changes the way we see the world around us. That's why the gospel isn't just something that God wants to do in us. He wants to proclaim the good news of the kingdom through us. I know that there are people here whose stories, whose seasons, I have not the slightest clue. And maybe I know you very well and you've kept it a secret, or maybe we've never met and I kind of pretend to know your name, but I always just call you bro or chief when you come to TNW. Whichever category that is. I want to tell you that if we look from the lens of Scripture and if we look with spiritual eyes, hope is coming. We often pray prayers that are incorrect, at least I do. Brian Zahn says that sometimes our prayers unintentionally form our theology. So we'll pray or I'll pray, God, I need you to show up in the season instead of, God, help make me aware of what you're already doing. So what we say intends shapes who we're becoming. And sometimes our prayers can be lessons in poor theology that leave us hanging when life gets difficult. In this room, there's about 40 or 50 stories and seasons being represented. Some are sweet and joyful. I will take whatever you're drinking and double it. That sounds awesome. If you're like here and you're like, wow, this is such a weird message. I'm having the time of my life. Well, hey, good for you, buddy. And two, pocket this for later. But maybe you're here and there's something going on in the life of your family. There's something going on in your body physically. There's something going on in, in how you're connecting with God. There's something that just feels off and wrong. The temptation is to try to go back to the familiar instead of having faith to what God could be doing now. That's why churches oftentimes get into these weird discussions and turn into church splits over the strangest things. Like, I want to play this song. I want the carpet this way. I want the pews that way. I don't like this parking lot. That happens often because somebody's stuck not realizing what season they're in. Like, they're like, I really want to play Lord, I Lift Your Name on High. Like, if we don't play that song every week, it's not a church service. Well, that's because, you know, Aunt Susan got saved when that song was being played, and she hasn't moved on in 30 years to a new season. Because what happens is when we have monumental markers in our faith life, we'll turn them into things they're not designed to be. 
They're designed to be a, a launching pad for what's next, not a museum of what was. I do this. I'm guilty of this. But the dangerous part of our lives is that if we're not really thinking with the Spirit, and by the way, that's kind of the whole theme of this. It's not how do I live in the moment. It's how do I stay attuned to the Holy Spirit in every moment of life. Not just in the negative, but in the positive. Not just when life seems easy, but when things seem difficult. And usually people's spiritual temperaments can fall into one of two categories. Um, you're either, and this is oversimplifying, so I know the AU person is going to be like, oh, this doesn't fit me, I'm not in both, blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Um, just figure it out on BuzzFeed later. But usually, you're either really good at following Jesus when things are bad, or you're really good at following Jesus when things are good. I'm great when things are bad. When my life is hitting the crap storm, I'm like, yes, Jesus. I'm like Devo and hard. Like, I think maybe I'm the fourth person in the Trinity for a minute or two. I don't know. Like, I'm close. You know, I'm doing like double Devos, which is insane. You know, I'm like a new Christian. I'm just like hyped up. But when things are going really good, I don't say this, but I live this. Man, all this good stuff is happening because of me. Oh, God is cool. I'll you know, phone a friend when I need him. I got this thing down. But maybe you're in the opposite boat. What's interesting is that all of us break differently and all of our immaturities eventually show up somehow. So you might be really good at when things are good, you're like, Jesus, I love you. You're awesome. I'm going to the gala. Yeah. See what I did there? Um, and then one bad thing happens and you're like, I don't even know if there is a God. What's going on in my life? You and I have the opportunity Today, when we worship in response in just a few minutes, to ask the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and discernment so that we can know what season we're in so that we can steward it. I love that idea of stewardship. It's taking care of somebody else's land. And honestly, if, if we're being candid about the cross and the gospel, our life is no longer our own if we're followers of Jesus. I mean, it's not a great t-shirt like Chi Alpha, slaves to righteousness, like not really cool. But theologically, that's, that's, that's what we're saying about our lives. It's interesting. It's not saying that we're no longer slaves. It's just saying that our master has changed. That's controversial. That's hard to live up to. But that's the reality of what Paul writes and what's affirmed in the life of Jesus. Sometimes you and I have to let our idea of what season we wish we were in die so that we could have a life in the actual season that we're in. I'm not saying this as someone that's doing it well. I'm saying this as someone that needs to live this out tomorrow. I need to be very honest about am I letting God do what he wants or am I asking him to only do what I want him to do? Like if God answered all my prayers for this community, this staff, and this campus, would we go back to a few years ago or would we be in a new place reaching new students, seeing him expressed in a new way? I've been reading through the book of Joshua. Uh, I've been really challenged uh, as I dig into the Old Testament. Like, what do I do when God doesn't seem to fit my sensibilities? Um, but as I'm reading through Joshua, it's interesting that almost every chapter God has to tell Joshua, he commands him to be encouraged, be strong and courageous. Like, if you read the book of Joshua, though, he's basically, like, winning every battle except, like, one. But he had, like, that super cool Jericho music, walls fall down things. So that kind of, you know, he's doing great. But the implication, the underlying idea is that he isn't encouraged. You don't have to be commanded to be strong and courageous when you feel strong and courageous. 
what God is trying to do is he's trying to speak through your season, sometimes above, below, around your season, and he's trying to get your attention, not because he's upset with you, but because he wants you to live in the fullness of what he has for you. As I was praying today, I was just thinking about God's people in the Old Testament and the idea of like manna, which they got daily, which, which is pretty cool. Like if you're not familiar with the story, like they got supernatural food, like pre-Uber Eats, and they could just like eat it off the ground, no germs, I don't think. And it was just great, and it came every day. But what's interesting is that if you live that type of life with God, you don't have capacity for a pantry. You have to be willing to follow him daily. You have to be willing to come to the table and find spiritual food to eat. And what's interesting is that that's your job and my job, and that becomes a little bit more interesting and somewhat more difficult over winter break. Because honestly, winter break is like a preview of the rest of your life post-campus ministry, and you begin to live out the answer to this question. Have you really found Jesus in college, or have you found a cool community with friends? One's great, one's good. But how you choose to live answers that question. And I want what's best for you, and I believe that it's being close and near to God. And I believe it means showing up and asking him for the tenth time to move in an area where you haven't seen him move yet. I believe it's putting down real prayer requests into those buckets, the names of people who you're, you want to see their lives changed. The Lord's been challenging me recently in my own prayer life. If God answered yes to all my prayers, would my life get better or would more people know Jesus? Again, how are my prayers forming my theological reality? As the worship team comes up and we prepare to respond, I want to just give us a little bit of a primer on why we end every service responding in worship. It's not like we're like, oh, that was good. Let's just sandwich the message with Christian karaoke. Uh, no. We're engaging in a thousands of years of tradition of putting our attention and our affection to God through music and song. We're sometimes borrowing the faith of somebody else singing what we hope to believe but don't yet fully realize. But we do it at the end of the message because we don't ever teach or preach for applause but for action. That the Holy Spirit would stir up something in you from the text, something that one of us said, not because of who we are but because of who God is and how much he cares for you. And that there would be a moment in your seats, at the altar, on the sides, in the perm, that you would have an encounter with Jesus. And that you'd come to the bittersweet realization that he may not give you a new season tomorrow, but he's bigger than any season you could imagine. He's stronger than any difficulty you could face. He's more faithful to you than you are to him on your best day. He loves you and he cares for you. And what's interesting about the loving nature of God is that when we are obedient to who he says we are and to what scripture says, that's when we find fulfillment in life. You could try to explore that and experience that for yourself, or you could take a shortcut through the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. And you can find that at the end of the day, what gives meaning and purpose is something greater than what we do or what we feel or what we experience, what we desire, what we get, what we don't get. It's coming face to face with the God who is bigger than that, whose primary motivation is love and inviting us into community. And a God who reminds us that when we're in a season of difficulty, 
not that he's left us, but that he might be wanting to do something new or deeper in your life and story if you'll allow it. Why don't you stand with me as we pray? God, I feel so, so sure in my spirit that there is something that you want to do in the lives of several students tonight, that this would be a marker in their season where they're reminded of your faithfulness. God, I pray that we would come to you, that we'd meet with you, and that we'd steward this moment well. In your name, amen. You can come to the altars. There's the prayer room. There'll be folks on the side to pray. I found myself in a moment this week. I told the staff team I just received news that was discouraging, and I said, I just need to go wrestle with God for a few minutes. Thankfully, he won, like always. There are some of you here that need to wrestle with God about unanswered prayers, about broken relationships, about broken dreams, and he's been waiting for you to initiate. Please do that tonight. Let's pray.